0: Welcome to the latest episode of the Catalyst Health and Wellness Coaching Podcast. My name is Brad Cooper. I'll be your host. And today's interview is with Laura Henlon, a nationally board-certified health and wellness coach and a specialist in our topic today, which is mindfulness. Now, if you're like me and you hear that and you say, oh yeah, mindfulness, I I know all about that. I've, I've read about it. Then you are in for a big and very pleasant surprise. As Laura takes us much deeper into the concept and, more importantly, the application both in our coaching practices, but also personally. I loved this interview. Little background on Laura. As I mentioned, she's a nationally board-certified health and wellness coach. She's been coaching since 2009, but, and she jokes about this a little bit in the interview, she'll tell you she hasn't worked a day in her life because she's so passionate about wellness and the empowering process of coaching. She's also a certified smoking cessation trainer and is honored to be not only an instructor but a mentor coach for the Catalyst Coaching Institute. And she'll mention a couple of times this webinar she's put together on mindfulness. So those of you who are in the program, that might be one you want to check out. Laura holds a master's degree in health psychology where, fun fact, she actually crafted her own year-long multidimensional wellness plan as her master's thesis. I like that. In addition to coaching, her most notable experience comes from her work as a clinical biofeedback therapist. Biofeedback is all about training people to relax and learn how to self-regulate their autonomic nervous system. Instructing her biofeedback patients in mindfulness techniques was a foundational aspect of this powerful mind-body training. Laura got turned on to the impressive health benefits of meditation when she was a senior in high school and has been hooked ever since. She's a firm believer in taking some time every day to turn inward, nourishing the connection with your mind, body, and present moment experience. So with that, let's get started on this latest episode of the Catalyst Health and Wellness Coaching Podcast. All right. Well, Laura, thanks for joining us today. Before we take a deeper dive into this intriguing area of, of mindfulness that we're going to talk about today. Can you tell us a little bit about your kind of broader career as a health and wellness coach? We, we've provided the introduction uh, leading into this, but just a couple of tidbits that might be of interest to the current and future wellness coaches that are listening to this.
1: Sure. And I appreciate having me on today. So, well, I have been working my dream job as a wellness coach for nine years. And it is definitely my true calling and passion. Um don't laugh when I say it's my soulmate <laughs> job. <laughs> but I do truly feel that. Um and you know I've done a lot of coaching calls probably upwards of I don't know 9 or 10,000 at this point, but I still feel it's it's really a huge honor and a privilege to be invited in to someone's you know very personal wellness journey and I try not to take that lightly. So I think it's a pretty pretty amazing field. So happy to be doing it.
0: And you just had everyone listening to you, not everyone, but 99% of the people listen to you go, wow, 9,000 coaching sessions. That's amazing. <laughs> so I think you have their attention already. In terms of mindfulness itself, how did how'd that get on your radar screen initially? And, and walk us through the role it's played for you in your health and wellness coaching, because that's not necessarily something that everyone brings to their, to their career as a health and wellness coach.
1: Sure. Yeah. Well, as you mentioned in my introduction, um, I was a clinical biofeedback therapist um, for a number of years, which no one has ever heard of, but it's um, also <sighs> extremely cool work. Um, and biofeedback is all about training people to cultivate a healthy collaboration, if you will, between their mind and their body. And believe it or not, mindfulness training, Brad, is the foundation for all biofeedback and self-regulation training. And so, when I was doing that work, you know, working with my patients day in and day out, they learned really quickly that they had to be in the present moment in order to create any positive shift in their physiology um, and to relax at the nervous system level. So, I kind of witnessed um, the power of of the present moment in that work as a biofeedback therapist. And now um, as a coach, I love sharing the physical and mental health benefits of relaxation and mindfulness with my coaching clients. Um, I have to say it does kind of strike me as a little bit unfortunate that as a society, we're not exposed to this type of training elsewhere. Um, Oftentimes, I guess the conversation I have with my clients about cultivating a mind-body connection this is the first they've had with anyone, it sure sounds mm. like. I know, kind of crazy. And then when I actually guide them in a mindfulness breathing exercise or kind of a mini body scan, which, by the way, I always try and do some type of experiential um, thing with them because feeling is definitely believing. Um, but it's often their first experience with some type of you know, mindfulness or relaxation. Um, And then I also hear from many clients and actually a lady yesterday that I was working with, in fact, that they've tried meditating before, but they were terrible at it. Um, And so they gave up. I if I had a quarter for every time I've heard that (laughs) I wouldn't have a ton of money, but I would definitely be have a small, small pile. So so that whole notion just really motivates me even more to share different options with them to really find a way to help them kind of move through the the struggles of getting some kind of mindfulness or meditation program going. I mean, if you think about it, slowing down, letting go and hanging out in the moment is not, is not easy in this crazy, busy, you know, sort of overstimulating environment we live in. But when my clients kind of get the hang of it, it's so gratifying when they start experiencing, you know, some positive results. I had a a client that I've only, that I only got to work with for four sessions. And I think it was session one that I taught, taught her um, that kind of that brief relaxation exercise that I've been teaching for, oh my gosh, probably two and a half decades now where they're just kind of noticing themselves, um, taking a slow, relaxed breath and letting go of tension. Anyhow, she came back and said that she'd been practicing it and her neck pain was gone. Her kind of, you know, tense, cranky, achy neck was gone. And every time, you know, we had a conversation, I kept checking back in. She said, yeah, the neck pain's gone and hasn't come back because she's been continuing to practice this. So that that's really, you know, why I I do continue um, or get excited about sharing it with my coaching clients.
0: It's so interesting. And I, and I think you're, you said it's unfortunate that people aren't getting this. I think it's coming. Like, I think it's, it's mm-hmm. out there. the 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 power of it is really coming to the forefront. So, people like you sharing this information, bring it to the attention of of the folks that are, are listening here, hugely valuable. But you know, you mentioned when we were talking offline, it was just on the cover of a, of a big magazine recently too. So I, it's I getting a lot of publicity, went. and I yeah. think there's a there's a good reason for that. Can you can you take us into so if someone's listening to this who says Oh yeah, I've kind of heard of that, but I don't know much about it. Can you describe just more the basics of mindfulness and its benefits to somebody who maybe is just vaguely familiar with the concept?
1: Sure. Yeah. So, well, it's it's said that if you're practicing mindfulness, then you are following I don't know three simple but definitely not easy (laughs) parameters. So that first parameter, Brad, is that you are observing your thought your feelings, and your body sensations in the moment without judgment or expectation. Second parameter is that you are making no attempts to try and quiet or empty your mind. And the third parameter is that you're letting go of any effort to change, push away, or distract from your present moment experience. So those are kind of the, I guess the, the sort of the guidelines. And then I think That's it's also really, yeah, really important to recognize that mindfulness, um, is a lifetime engagement and practice. We don't ever arrive. <laughs> um, I know I've been practicing meditation for about 32 years, um, since I was about 18, senior in high school. And, and you know, you, it's all, I call it a meditation or a relaxation practice, um, for just that reason.
0: That's excellent. That is excellent.
1: So in terms of the benefit of adopting a regular mindfulness practice, I mean, we could probably spend an entire, you know, second podcast on that. But there's literally, Brad, been thousands of studies done on the benefits of mindfulness, many which have been using, you know, functional MRI, which is, you know, pretty cool stuff, pretty high tech stuff. Um, and the evidence is so clear that it can support our physical, mental, and emotional health in just a multitude of ways. So some of the biggies are decreased anxiety, stress and depression, um, less suffering, improved immunity, self-esteem and empathy, as well as increased optimism and life satisfaction.
0: Glad you mentioned the functional MRI. That is been an immense benefit to the people that are doing research on mindfulness. And any of the folks that are listening out there, if you're not familiar with some of the research on mindfulness and the use of functional MRI to show what portions of the brain are doing what when people are practicing that, definitely look into that. And that may be something we'll cover in a future evidence-based practice episode. But thanks for mentioning that, Laura, because that is such a key area. And maybe the reason we're seeing much more about mindfulness now because the researchers are getting their arms around it and saying, look, we can show it. It's not just subjective anymore. It's it's an objective measurement that we can identify. So great stuff, great stuff. Okay, so stress. Our coaches mm-hmm. that are listening to this, that's probably one of the primary areas they're helping their clients work through is, is reducing or helping manage. Stress obviously is not a bad thing. It's how we deal with it. It's how we absorb it. It's how our body's prepared for it and our mind, et cetera, et cetera. So how have you seen benefits for mindfulness in addressing stress management or stress uh, tolerance or whatever you want to call it uh, in that area?
1: Yeah. And this kind of does go back to my background as a biofeedback therapist. And I mean, there's no doubt that regular, a regular practice of mindfulness is a, an extremely powerful tool for managing stress and quieting ourselves, right? At that nervous system level, which is so important. Again, I'm, you know, again, such a big advocate on, you know, really self care of our, of our autonomic nervous system. So kind of by way of explanation, um, let me start with the idea that You know, let's, let's assume that 99.9% of the time in the present moment, we are indeed safe. We're, we're not in any physical danger, right? There's not that saber-toothed tiger or that, you know, bear knocking down our door, right? Any of those things would warrant a fight or flight stress response, but none of those things 99.9% of the time are happening. So when our attention is in the present moment with our body, which by the way, is the only place the body can be, the amygdala, which is that primitive part of the brain that scans for danger and threat, it's when we're in the moment, it's receiving real-time information that all is well, that we are safe. And it's this precise message of safety and that we're okay, um, that it's receiving, that allows us to feel calm and relaxed, and most importantly, prevent turning on that fight or flight stress response unnecessarily. So that's kind of the the sort of physiology behind it. But unfortunately, um, much of the time, our attention and therefore our thoughts are not in the present moment, right?
0: Yeah. I mean, amen. Exactly. That's, <laughs> yeah. Yeah. You've, you've um, nailed it.
1: Yeah. So they've gone back to the regretful past, right? Coulda, shoulda, woulda, right? Dwelling, um, kind of, oh, I shouldn't have said that, you know, worrying about past mistakes, or (laughs) we spend an exorbitant amount of time in the unknown, scary and worrisome future, what I call the world of what if, right? And in both those cases, Brad, the amygdala, which unfortunately has the mentality of about a three year old cannot discriminate, um, between real and imagine danger it's getting the message that things could have or have already gone wrong and when when that when it's getting that message again even if it's just imagined it's because its only job is to protect us if it senses danger again even if it's only imagined it's going to start the fight or flight stress response and so circling this all the way back around to the original question being in the moment gives that Real-time live streaming message of safety, which allows you know us to not have to be in the fight or flight stress.
0: Laura, this is fascinating. I mean, I'm just sitting here going, "Man, I love this stuff." <laughs> okay, so do you see ways in which mindfulness, aside aside from what coaches can how coaches can utilize it with their clients, but what are ways that coaches can use it to be better coaches?
1: Yeah. Yeah. And I talk about that in my, in the Catalyst Coaching Institute mindfulness uh, webinar that I just put together. So definitely on, on the top of my mind. And I think practicing mindfulness on a regular basis does help us as coaches to slow down our minds so that we are better able to put our full attention on our client and what they're saying. And of course, when we're listening more deeply, we're better at sensing those subtle shifts. And the tone of their voice, the verbiage, which is going to make it easier to pick up change talk, right? And I also think Brad, and you'll probably agree with this, our clients can probably sense even over the phone when we're distracted.
0: Mm, huge.
1: I know I can tell right away when my client is not present in the conversation. I can almost, I can probably hear them typing, but I can just tell otherwise even if I can hear, you know, some kind of background you know, typing or something, I just thought, yeah, they're not really, <laughs> they're not really with me. So a regular practice of mindfulness could also help us, you know, really learn to be better at responding to what our clients are saying in that kind of thoughtful and meaningful present moment way, rather than just reacting, which is happening more in that from that unconscious or habituated place, right? Maybe from triggers or cues, they might say something and we just kind of have that immediate reaction. So we definitely want to um, be in more of that responsive mode. That's definitely going to make our sessions more personalized and more individualized to the client. Themselves.
0: So as you're talking about that, I'm thinking there are so many technology firms trying to create coaching from a, an AI side of things. And one of the things you're pointing out is yeah, you can <laughs> wrote the answer. A computer can can memorize or respond the way the coach's technical answer should be, but the mindfulness on the part of the coach allows you to go another level deeper that the computer never would be able to.
1: Oh, yeah, absolutely. Huh. I mean, because you can hear you know hesitation in their voice. You know, um, like I work a lot with, you know, smokers, and, you know, you can definitely hear it when they're like, yeah, you know, I, I'm I'm gonna quit. And and then that you kind of just hear a shift and like you kinda can pick up that hesitation or that fear. Um and then that helps you kind of be able to pose that next question like, Well, you know, I hear you saying you're ready to quit, but I'm also picking up a little a little sense of, you know, hesitation or, you know, something going on. And you're right, a computer would never be able to do that.
0: So good. So good. Okay, so let's dive into the practical and again just high level stuff for the coaches. Some of them have listened to your webinar on mindfulness that goes really deep. Some of them will in the future. But just for the group that's listening to this now and and may never get a chance to hear that, what are some specific ways coaches can use mindfulness either personally or with their clients on kind of a, a practical, you know, three tips kind of thing?
1: Okay. So obviously mindfulness is all about managing and directing our attention. I think that's just a really good sort of foundational way to think about it. So a good place to start for coach or client is to spend some time every day purposefully putting your attention on the present moment. And oh my gosh, there's just a huge variety of ways, uh, you know, in which you can go about this. You could spend a few minutes paying attention to your breath. You could take a short mindfulness walk uh, where you're purposeful, purposefully noticing, you know, details of your environment, flowers, leaves, bark, clouds. Um, you could also tap into sound by closing your eyes uh, for a few minutes and just listening to the sounds around you, you know, like on a, a lunch break or a coffee break, just going out in the sunshine, which, oh my goodness, is so healing. Um, I'm a big promoter of that. And just closing your eyes and just listening to, you know, the sounds around you because those sounds, Brad, are occurring in the present moment. So when you're tuning into them, right, even if it's car horns or, you know, birds chirping. Um, And then it's kind of cool because if you heard both of those, you could actually play around with directing your attention to the most pleasant one. And that would be kind of higher level stuff. So you could... um you know, immerse yourself in paying attention to the minute-by-minute minute sensory experience during a mundane daily task, such like as showering, doing the dishes, or wiping down the counters. Um, and there is literally—I mean, when I was putting together the the webinar, I mean, I was almost overwhelmed. There are just thousands upon thousands of resources for incorporating my mindfulness. So I really encourage coaches to just you know kind of play around pick a couple to start and then just start um i mean we can pretty much use any scent so you know visual auditory smelling um when i take my mindfulness walks now with my dog not only do i try and really look at the beauty of the flowers but you know i would stop and smell them in the springtime you know just get right up my nose right up in there and and you know, just really again, stop and smell the flowers. <laughs> kind of a cliche, but um, that's mindfulness. Pretty, you know, basic stuff.
0: I love it. You're doing such a good job. I, I, this is just so fascinating. And I think I came into this thinking, oh yeah, I know mindfulness, and you're you're peeling stuff back here. So great job. Let's let's talk about a, anonymous, obviously, but keeping it anonymous. Can you share a? An encouraging story, an interesting story, something about a client, again, in the context of being anonymous, where mindfulness really played a pretty big role in how they progressed or how they developed. You mentioned one example earlier, but is there another one that comes to mind just off the top of the head?
1: Yeah. So this particular client um, really described herself as stressed and unhealthy. Um, She kept telling me she just always felt rushed and frazzled and distracted. Um, Her verbiage was actually that she felt like she had gotten on a a treadmill, you know, five years ago and she couldn't get off of it or slow it down. I thought, wow, you know, I just I I really, you know, sort of felt for her. And I heard this real sense of helplessness. And so I thought mindfulness might help. Um, I explained what it was and what a simple practice might look like. And because feeling is believing um, and I'm sort of really big on that. Experiential thing, I led her through a brief guided exercise where I just had her pay attention to her breath for a few minutes. And I can remember her saying, I've never paid attention to my breath, Laura. Um, so I Mm. knew right then, I mean, this was gonna be pretty eye-opening stuff for her. So ultimately, this client chose to start, you know, engaging in a few simple mindfulness practices, just like I kind of recommended the, you know, the coaches um, might do. And one of those was to spend ten minutes a day simply paying attention to her breath, which, by the way, is a fundamental mindfulness practice that many people start and stay with. I mean, that you don't have to venture much farther from that. That's that's a sort of a foundational practice. And the other one, and I think it was because I was sharing with her that I was taking these mindfulness walks with my dog. The other one was this gal wanted to start turning her dreaded daily dog walks into joyful mindfulness walks. And so I was kind of asking her a little bit more, and she was telling me that her dog walks were miserable because she spent the entire time up in her head worrying about things, you know, sort of wishing the the walk over so she could get back to the business of her busy day. Hmm. Um, so anyhow, those were the two things she decided to work on. And I am not kidding you. She came back to our next next session saying she had been diligent about practicing and researching. And she was just literally gushing about mindfulness. Mm -hmm. Um, Some of the things she shared, it's still kind of, I just kind of get a tingle when I think about it because it, I mean, I almost get teary-eyed because, I mean, she was talking about, I mean, some of the things she shared that she'd be, you know, she'd lived in her neighborhood, I don't know, 15 years. And for the first time she was noticing the beauty of her neighborhood because she was slowing down to notice the homes and the colors and the flowers you know yard decor just kind of simple silly stuff like that um, and her walks with her dog became this enjoyable peaceful break from her busy day um, and she also mentioned um, just some of the things she had kind of been noticing because she was spending more time in the present moment was how darn cute her dogs nose and fur mustache were i don't know why i'm a dog lover so that stuck out to me (laughs) and that her 14 year old daughter had natural red highlights in her hair isn't that i mean just gives you the chills and um another sort of silly thing she noticed was the dust on her dashboard of her car i don't know why i remember that one but because again she just was slowing down and it was just so cool because she was so amazed that when she began consciously spending some time every day in the present moment, it was getting easier to slow down, to be more present during the rest of her day, right? The practice, the two little things that she was practicing in were starting to inform the rest of her day. And so she was just so tickled that something as simple, not always easy, as hanging out in the present moment had, had allowed her to cultivate this peace and this calmness and contentment had just really been eluding her. So it was it was kind of a wowser. So I like I do like sharing that one.
0: <laughs> uh tremendous. I, I almost feel like we need to pause and breathe and ponder that one for a little while. I mean think think of the impact. And it's not an impact for the next day, the next week only. This is like you said, it's kind of lifelong stuff once you establish that habit. Wow. Okay, so yeah. first step yeah. for a coach who who's listening to this and saying You know, I'm coaching currently. I haven't really integrated much with the mindfulness stuff up to this point, but I think I'd like to, or someone who's thinking about being a coach and they want to make a mental note of when I start coaching, I want to be sure X, Y, Z, what would be a good first step or two for a coach that hasn't been, but would like to integrate more mindfulness elements into their coaching practice?
1: I think the first thing I might suggest would be for the coach to personally cultivate some type of daily mindfulness meditation habit, even if it's just five, ten minutes. And that's kind of the cool thing with mindfulness practice, Brad, is really, um, you know, most folks out there are just, you know, saying, hey, just ten minutes can have these huge, huge, huge impacts. So don't, you know, underestimate the power of just a small commitment of time. But I think that practice would allow, you know, the person to experience firsthand the benefits, but also the challenges of practicing mindfulness. I mean, practicing mindfulness is super, super humbling. People are like, yeah, I was in the present moment for about, oh, half a second before my <laughs> mind wandered. And true. I mean, it's, it's really, I mean, especially when we're just, you know, our minds are just, you know, so good at being distracted. Um, so again, I think practicing it, um, gives them that firsthand experience and then they could move on, you know, once they kind of practice it in their own personal life, then I think it's easier to begin practicing being more mindful during a coaching conversation. Um, and initially, you know, this could be, oh, practicing simple ways as a coach to maybe kind of bring themselves back to the present moment. Um. I think it happens to all of us, you know, we maybe notice our mind has galloped into the future, right? When we're starting to formulate that next brilliant question we want to ask and all of a sudden we're not, you know, really paying attention very well. So having a way to kind of, you know, obviously notice that and then just kind of, you know, maybe pull your attention back to your center, to your solar plexus or some way that's very unique and personal to you to kind of bring yourself, um, back. So that would definitely be a way to, kind of integrate it into your coaching practice by first integrating it into your own life.
0: Amazing advice. I mean, it's, it's, it's consistent with what you're saying. It's instead of get ahead of yourself and do these five things, it's, wait, wait, wait. let's take a step back and let's integrate it personally. And then from that personal integration will spur these other things. So outstanding. All right. So we're going to take mindfulness. We're going to put it over to the side here for a second. And we're gonna talk about Laura. If you're okay with this, we we like to ask our guests. You know, we've got all these coaches listening. What? How are you in your health and wellness? Is there some area that it's been a struggle for you? It's it's an area that you'd like to, or that you've been kind of focusing on. Can you can you walk us through kind of your recent journey in one area? Maybe it's exercise or stress or life balance or you know any of the dimensions that's been your focus and kind of what you've been doing and how it's going and just just walk us down that path with you a little bit
1: yeah well you know as i mentioned i've been sort of a doing a deep relaxation meditation for about 32 years so that's really well cultivated and established in my life but i tell you when i ah, when i did put together that mindfulness webinar for cci it it just i mean i I don't know, it was fun, it was a lot of work, um, but I learned so much, and I really caught the mind, the mindfulness bug, you know, really, I think, just studying and reading about all the, the fabulous benefits, I was like, you know, I really want this to be a bigger part of my life, and I came across an incredibly cool quote when I was working on the presentation, and it is, life is what you pay attention." Life is what you pay attention to, and for some reason, it just kind of stopped me in my tracks and stuck with me. I don't know, maybe the sheer simplicity of it, um, but it really spurred me to, um, I think, work on being a better steward of my thoughts and my attention. I mean, I think I do a pretty good job. Maybe that's some of that's my, you know, long time meditation practice. But I knew I could do a lot better um, and it's been sort of strangely fun <laughs> and empowering to practice with this and I get excited because I know each time I purposefully redirect my attention it's kind of fun to see how my thoughts follow um, so if I'm out walking and become aware or mindful that I've started thinking about a problem, and I'm up in my head, right, you don't even notice it until you start noticing it, you're just kind of there, like, oh, I'm up in my head, you know, thinking about this thing that I think about, you know, every day, (laughs) and all of a sudden, I'll put my attention on something around me, like a beautiful flower or a tree, and now, as I'm paying attention to the flower, kind of trying to use as many senses as I can, right, I talked about, like, Actually going over, walking over to the flower, looking at the, the, you know, three different shades of pink and smelling the flower. I find myself starting to think about the flower, right? So now my attention has been redirected by me and now my thoughts are following and I'm actually thinking about this flower. Like, wow, how can nature make this amazing tri-pink colored flower? Um, and then I, Actually, start to feel, you know, when I've been noticing like a positive shift in my body as well. I kind of stand up taller. I feel more confident. I feel more peaceful and in charge of my mind. And I don't know. I guess in reality, um, I don't know. Each time I redirect my attention, I'm becoming more in charge of my mind. Um, I'm, I'm I love neuroplasticity. I read a lot on that. So. I kind of get excited that I'm actually, Brad, sprouting new neural circuits when I'm redirecting my attention. I'm kind of pruning away the old undesirable ones for those, those, those repetitive thoughts, right? They, they say that all of us have, oh, I don't know, 12 to 90,000 thoughts per day, but 95% of them are the same ones we had yesterday and the day before. So if I can kind of work on pruning away those sort of old messages and old thoughts, that's, that's, that's cool. Yay. Neuroplasticity, neuroplasticity at work, right?
0: If you're not familiar with this concept of neuroplasticity, it, it is not a new concept, but it is getting a lot of recent attention. So again, I'm glad you just threw that phrase out because that's a good little homework assignment for listeners to say, wait, I think I've heard of that. Let me go check that out. Fascinating, fascinating research on the topic.
1: Yeah. And I can just say neuroplasticity is, you know, again, um, you know, things that wire to, or things that fire together. Uh, wire together things that fire apart wire apart so basically what you continue to attend to and put your attention on gets stronger and stronger and um you know that's how we can i mean it's fast it is i think important and fascinating work for coaches because it really gets to the the sort of uh, neuropsychology root of habit formation and habit breaking habits that are no longer serving us well So. um yeah, it's really it, one of my favorite, favorite topics. There's a really um, a couple of great books I've read on neuroplasticity. Uh, coaches are um, interested. They're both by Norman Doidge, uh, first name Norman, last name D-O-I-D-G-E. He's a Canadian physician who just has a fascination with neuroplasticity and all its different applications, which are immense. And he's got two books out that just blew me away. So, and then this morning, when I was just kind of thinking about this podcast, I was actually thinking that this process of, of practicing, you know, redirecting one's attention, right? To, to more positive things. Um, it's, it's a little bit like kind of curating, right? And that's a word we're also hearing a lot about mindfulness, neuroplasticity, curating. At least I've been hearing that word a lot. And it's kind of like curating your own life experience, but from the inside out. And then I'm also listening to a really good um, book right now. I'm kind of an Audible junkie, and and it's called The Untethered Soul by Michael A. Singer. And it's it's been really helpful to just another way of looking at letting go and spending more time in the in the here and now.
0: Very good. I I, I think the only thing people are going to walk away from this bummed about it. they're gonna have all this homework because they got these research studies they need to read. They've got these (laughs) books they've got to read. They got to get on uh, So no that's awesome. Thank you. So I kind of wrap up question. Any suggestions, comments for and maybe break this into two pieces. We have we have two groups of listeners basically. We have the folks that are currently coaching. It's not quite at the level they want to be they want to become better coaches. They want to have more energy they want to get their passion back, whatever it might be. And then we have the Folks that are on the fence, they're thinking, "Yeah, I, I think I, I think I might like to go into coaching, but I'm not sure if it's right for me." That kind of thing. So, any maybe a a tip or two for each one of those groups. So, a the folks that are currently coaching, maybe they're not quite as experienced as you. Maybe they're the same as you, but now they've kind of hit a a barrier of of they're they're getting tired or they want something fresh or, or whatever. So, any tips for the experienced coach, and then any tips for the considering coach? We'll call them today.
1: Well, for us coaches in the trenches, um, you know, I really like the idea of us all working together to continue bringing respect and validity and attention to this amazing field. I think in time, you know, we are gonna be an integral part of healthcare in our society and they'll wonder how they ever lived without us. But, you know, I think we also, um, you're spot on, we have to keep it fresh for ourselves. We have to make sure um, we don't get burnt out. and I think a lot of that comes back to again cultivating some type of nervous system or mental self care strategy for ourselves. Um, some way to really take care of our ourselves, you know, with some um, formal maybe routine where you're meditating every day, or you're practicing mindfulness for 20 minutes a day, or you're um, doing kind of a Western-based you know relaxation exercise so some strategy for self-care um and i don't know just keep finessing your coaching skills too because i think that i know you know i mean like anybody you go in dips and valleys and peaks and valleys i guess is a better way of saying it and sometimes when you learn something new right like when we have our coach huddle um which is where we we learn something new as coaches i always feel fired up for the next couple of weeks right because you're you've taken in new material. So I think that would be kind of for the the current coaches. And then for people on the fence, um, I'm gonna come back to mindfulness, you know, sitting and just observing, if you will, all your passing thoughts about coaching. Should I, you know, go for it? Should I not? You know, at least you're you're not trying to change those thoughts. You're not trying to distract from them, but you're just, you know, observing them, right? Without judgment or expectations. Expectation and you're, you're listening, right, Brad, for what's coming up for that wisdom so that you can make a good decision. You know, so, so using mindfulness as a tool to decide if you want to be a coach or not, I guess.
0: Laura, this was outstanding. You are awesome. Thank you so much for doing this. I think, I think uh, a lot of people are going to want to listen to this one a few times through because it's almost relaxing to hear you talk. (laughs) Forget the information you're sharing, this great information. It just, it, it's calming just to listen to your response. And I think that's probably a reflection of the life that you live and, and the way that you have implemented this into your daily practice. So thank you so much. And uh, folks, I will be right back. Pretty good stuff, huh? It's just so interesting. And it just goes so far beyond the headlines that you hear about mindfulness. I I loved how she talked about it's a practice. It's a lifetime thing. It's not something you do, you master, you move on. But like so many other aspects of wellness, it's an ongoing practice. She talked about it allows us as coaches to be better with our responses. It 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 keeps you from falling into that rote response with your clients. You heard her say she's been involved with 9,000 coaching sessions as a wellness coach. You think she hasn't heard it all before? Well, as long as she's mindful, the response is still unique versus being habitual. So I thought that was powerful. And then one that really resonated personally, uh, because we've been talking about this as a family lately, is she talked about that quote she loved of life is what you pay attention to. So similar. Susanna had brought up basically a little phrase that we've been talking about in our family of life is now. Life is now. So obviously very close to what she was talking about. I mentioned in the last, at the end of the last podcast an exciting announcement coming up. We do not have all the details up on the website, depending on when you're listening to this. But I want to mention, I want you to be one of the first to hear about this because we are so excited about this. You, you've been to a number of conferences, maybe even some coaching conferences, and they're always very good. You know, the educational opportunities and what you learn and some of the networking is is really valuable We thought, as a wellness coach, you need something a little bit different. You need the education. You need the CEUs. You need that chance to grow yourself as a coach. But you need a chance to just ah, relax and let up and just kind of refresh and recover and rejuvenate and refocus and all those kinds of things. And so on September 7th and 8th, 2019, that's the weekend after Labor Day, we are going to be hosting the very first health and wellness coaching retreat and symposium in Estes Park, Colorado. If you've not been to Estes Park, it is so beautiful and September there's not a better month. Like literally, there is no better month. You don't have to worry about the snow. You get the sunshine, still the nice cool evenings, just beautiful. So, mark your calendars. We don't have if you're listening to this immediately after the recording, We don't have the details up on the website, but they're coming very soon. So keep an eye out. You can go to CatalystCoachingInstitute.com and just look for the details on the retreat there. Just a neat, neat opportunity, and we're we're super excited about it. We, We do a retreat as a company on a regular basis, and there's no more powerful weekend. And we thought, how can we spread that out and help coaches do the same? So it will involve CEUs. You will have some great coursework, some great networking opportunities. We're going to take that retreat piece very seriously. And so you're going to get a chance just to breathe and just get your feet back under you. So anyway, lots of resources at catalystcoachinginstitute.com in addition to details on the retreat that will be coming up. And feel free. We, we love getting emails from you, questions, ideas for future podcasts, anything that's on your mind in terms of the wellness coaching side, feel free. It's results at catalystcoachinginstitute.com institute.com thanks again for joining us and for spreading the word about this podcast keep working towards better than yesterday and i'll chat with you soon on the next episode of the catalyst health and wellness coaching podcast